G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word. How are we going to make it through spiritual winter? How can we endure and actually win when winter comes, when life is falling apart, when God is nowhere to be found? Today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome. Thanks for joining me on Today with Jeff Vines. And in this episode, we'll finish up our series on spiritual winter, a season when God can feel far away. We're going to continue with Pastor Jeff in the book of Job, chapter 2, verse 11. And he's letting us know what we can take away from this passage. So let's continue now on Today with Jeff Vines. Now, Bildad gives his comment, then here comes Eliphaz. He's the oldest, therefore the kindest, and he actually spoke first. Now remember, Job lost everything. Health, his wealth, livestock, everything he owned. And then remember, 10 of his children are over having a party. A big wind comes through, the roof collapses, they kill his children. Now, how would you react, having been through what I just described, And one of your friends comes and says this to you. Job chapter 14, Eliphaz says, Job, a spirit glided past my face and the hair on my body stood on end. It stopped, but I could not tell what it was. A form stood before my eyes and I heard a hushed voice. Can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can a man be more pure than his maker? Do you see that? A spirit glided past my face and the hair on my body stood on end. Now, the only way I can describe what's happening here is to give you a little illustration just quickly. When I was in seminary, we would take these long tests during the week of finals. I mean, we'd be given page after page and you had to write everything out, no laptops allowed. And so the professor would give you an essay question and then you'd have to write the answer. You would write for three and a half hours answering five of the 10 questions given you could choose. One of our friends had not studied a lot and we knew it. We knew he was in trouble before we got in there. So he had to choose some of the questions, so he did. One particular question, he did what in junior high school we called euphemistically padding. It's when you have a question and you write everything that's remotely related to the topic, everything, hoping that sooner or later, why are there so many people laughing? You did that too? (laughs) That sooner or later, you hope that you'll begin to hit toward the truth, right? So you write and you write and you write. 
When he got his paper back, our professor of theology wrote what I believe to be the funniest one-liner of all time. This is what he wrote in red ink on the front of that paper. This is not right. This is not even wrong. (laughs) This is not right. This is not even wrong. You see, when somebody makes a statement, there are two possible statements to correspond. One, you can say that is right, or two, you can say that is wrong. But if what you have said is nonsensical, that it makes no sense at all, then it doesn't even rise to the dignity of error. (laughs) And what our professor was basically saying is this, this is not right, this is not even wrong. Every time I think of that test, I think of Eliphaz's words, a spirit glided past my face, the hair on my body stood on end, it stopped, I didn't know what it was, and it spoke. How could I test that? It's impossible. A spirit glides past, hair stands up. That's not right, Job would say to Eliphaz. That's not even wrong. In effect, it's Eliphaz's attempt to be mystical. Have you ever had a friend do that when you're in pain? Come on. I saw a vision this morning of your life. Well, hey, why didn't God give it to me? Why did he give it to you? And then I got to translate. Or somebody comes along and they say, I've had a word from the Lord for you. Now, I'm not saying that God can't speak through our friends. I I know that he does. But you know how many times I've been in a hospital room or a waiting room and here comes the, I'm sorry, just aggressive, super aggressive Christian that wants to solve all the problems and all of a sudden they want to say something. All the other words that people have spoken have not comforted, so they need to add a little authoritative boost. So they begin what they say with these words, and the Lord said. Job is so upset with his friend Eliphaz. Here's what he says in Job 6, verse 1 and 4. If only my anguish could be weighed and all my misery be placed on the scales, it would surely outweigh the sand of the seas. The arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks in their poison. God's terrors are marshaled against me. A despairing man should have the devotion of his friends. Eliphaz is saying, has spoken his, his, what he believes his truth. And then Job responds by saying this, Eliphaz, You're underestimating the level of my pain. Don't assume that some theological or philosophical or mystical argument can soothe the pain that I'm in. My problems are much more complex than either you or I can understand. Besides, all I really need is a friend. All I really need is for you to stick by me even when it appears that I'm losing my mind. And then Job screams out to God in Job 6, 24, teach me and I will hold my peace and cause me to understand. Job says, my friends aren't helping God. You're going to have to come down. You're going to have to explain the situation to me. But in reality, Job's friends are helping. As a matter of fact, they're going to become famous. We're going to get to that in a moment, but there's a third friend. Now, folks, I'm just going to be honest. I've looked at this and looked at this for years now. I just don't understand Zophar's words. So I want you to know that. I want you to know I'm going to take a shot at it, but that's all it is, a guess. Zophar is the youngest, therefore the rudest. Sorry. He comes to Job. And in Job chapter 11, verse 12, this is what he says to a guy in this suffering. He says, it is more likely that a donkey will give birth to a human being than for you to listen to wisdom. Folks, that's not friendly devotion. (laughs) You know, when you're young and you haven't experienced pain and depth, you have a tendency to say things like that, don't you? Joe, it's more likely than my my old donkey down here to give birth to a human than for you to listen to what we're trying to say to help you. Now, let me take a shot at this. Here's what I think is happening. 
When I was in New Zealand, I met this lady by the name of Ali Mooney, who I've described to you before, helped Robin and me understand love languages and how they relate in a relationship. Man, I think that's one of the best things ever. I, th- I think it helped send my marriage into another realm, a good realm, and understand temperament, how we're all wired and how God puts us together and how we respond to each other. And when I took the little test, I remember her shaking her head and she just kept, and I said, what's wrong? What's wrong with me? And she just kept laughing. She goes, man, Jeff, most people are sanguine with other tendencies, but from everything I see on this paper, you are 100% sanguine. You're just 100% sanguine. Now, that's one of the descriptive words to describe your temperament. So I said, well, what's a sanguine? She goes, well, let let me describe it to you with this example. And this this is the example she gave me. She said, this would be a sanguine without the Holy Spirit. A sanguine goes into a party and finds somebody that he thinks will listen. And they go up to them and speak for 20 minutes. And for 20 minutes, all they do is talk about themselves. And after that 20 minutes, they look to the other person and say, okay, enough about me. What do you think about me? She said, that's a sanguine, but that's without the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what I believe Zophar has done. He has made, made Job's pain about him because Job's pain is now inconveniencing him. You ever had a friend that was in pain, but you just didn't have time for them? You, had, you just wanted to go on with your life and not worry about what's bothering them? That's what happens to Zophar. Zophar says, you know what? I can't be bothered with you, Job. I got issues of my own, even though they're not large. I don't want to talk to you right now. So I'm just going to say this to you. You're not going to listen to wisdom anyway. So I'm not even going to try. And Job's response is classic. Job ultimately says this. You know what, boys? Before you came, I had a lot of problems. Now I have another one. When you die, wisdom's going to die with you. (laughs) You hear what he says? Man, All the wisdom in the world is gathered up in you three. When you guys die, there'll be no wisdom left. (laughs) Now listen, I've been hard on Job's friends, but I've done that because I think it's important to know the role that we're going to play in each other's lives during spiritual winter. You won't make it alone. You've got to be careful about mystical advice that simplifies people's pain. You've got to be careful of giving somebody a lecture, even though it's a spiritual lecture when they're under incredible hardship. And you gotta be careful that their pain doesn't become all about you and your inconvenience. Because in reality, Job's friends were brilliant. They helped Job make it through the deepest, darkest, coldest winter of his life. You say, in heaven's name, Jeff, how? From where I'm sitting, they blew it. No, they didn't. Back to Job 2, verse 11. When Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, Zophar the Namathite, and Dadgum the Termite, heard all about the troubles. I've always wanted to throw that in. That was funny. Come on, man. Live it up a little bit. Goodness. Okay. Here we go. When they heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. This Hebrew word sympathize is the Hebrew word nud. Do you know what it means? Now, mothers are going to have an easy time grasping this. Father's a little bit more difficulty. The Hebrew word translated sympathize means to rock and nod. When my little boy Delaney, when we lived in New Zealand, he was about nine years old, and he started having internal bleeding, and we thought he had leukemia, or at least I did. And I was panicking about our next doctor's appointment. I remember going down to my office, trying to do work. And instead, I moved over to a chair and began to pray. And I was rocking and nodding. Please, God. Please, God. 
please anything but this. Please heal my son. Please not this. You ever done that, moms, for a child? Rock and nod. Rock and nod. When they get there to see Job, they are brilliant in their silence. All they do, the Bible says, for seven days is rock and nod. Job 2.12, when they saw him from the distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. They knew they just couldn't go to Job and say, don't worry, Job, it'll all be okay. No. For the first seven days, they were speechless. And verse 12 and 13 says that they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. Seven days and seven nights, they didn't say a word. They just sat with him. Wow. And their silence was brilliant. And they became famous. These three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, became famous. Because still to this day, part of Jewish life and Jewish culture, to this day, Jews will speak of sitting Shiva, which means sitting sevens. And tradition began that when someone was in mourning, you would come and sit for seven days. And the first seven days, you'd say nothing. You would just rock and nod, rock and nod. That's what the Apostle Paul meant in Romans 12, 15, when he said, mourn with those who mourn. Paul doesn't say fix their problems, give them really good advice, tell them not to mourn, tell them everything will turn out okay. No, he just says, mourn with those who mourn, just rock and nod. Paul says, just mourn. I have two crucial questions and I'm going to end the sermon. For whom have you mourned recently? Who are you there for? And who's there to mourn with you? Because spiritual winter ultimately comes to everybody. But if you've got a friend or a group of friends with whom you can mourn, do you know what happens? Oftentimes in the middle of your spiritual winter, they can bring in rays of beautiful sunshine and the clouds will go away. And often they can do it without saying a word. When my mom died, do you know the first person to the hospital? And the person who stayed throughout the entire ordeal, all night in the hospital, at the funeral, came to the house when there was food, Coach Eddie Carver. That's right. And for three to four days, I do not believe Coach Carver said a single word. He was just there. But every time I looked at him, every time I saw him out of the corner of my eye, I kept thinking, remember Vines, nothing shakes us. Nothing shakes us, Jeff. Nothing. Because of a friend, I could do what Job did. I could wrestle with God and tell God how frustrated I was with him while at the same time being reminded by my friend that I should cling to God because ultimately that's where the answers will be found. When I was about eight years old, my dad used to take me and my three brothers to Eastside Playground, elementary school. And remember the old teeter-totters? Seesaws, we call them. My brothers would get on one end, and I always like to sit in the middle. To this day, I don't know. I just like to get in the middle and try to ride it. And my brothers would try to kill each other, right? Because you try to slam it hard on the ground and knock the other one off. That's why no matter what you do to make playgrounds safe, they will never be safe. Human depravity takes over. And so 
You've got my brothers trying to kill each other. I'm in the middle. I like to just ride the middle and stay balanced. And my dad, to help me stay balanced, would often pull me up by the back. He didn't know he was giving me a wedgie, but he would pull me to try to hold me in place. That's what friends do. They give you wedgies. No, no, they don't. They, they hold you in balance. They keep you balanced. Listen, that's what friends do. They're there for you, allowing you to voice your struggle and your hurt and your heartache, but they're also reminding you to keep clinging to God because ultimately that is where you're going to find the answers. See, without spiritual friends, the balance won't be there. You'll only go one way and not come back to the other. Who you live your life with makes all the difference in spiritual winter. Many of my friends have left the faith now because of a spiritual winter and because their unwillingness to surround themselves with people who would bring rays of sunshine and pull them back to the middle and keep them balanced in the winter time. Now, don't you think pastors should be able to vent at least one time a year? Don't you think they should be able to just come out and say, I got a problem? Don't you think? One time. And so I would like to vent just for a moment. And I want you to hear me. Everybody, wake up. It's almost over. Listen, you know that we, we generally do love every single one of you. It's true. And it's not, it's not something that, well, my pastor, no, it's something that God puts in the heart of a pastor. And if it's not there, he should resign. He, he's supposed to love every single one of you. Now, that doesn't mean he gives you everything you want. That's not love. And because he wants to make sure that you make it through your spiritual winter, because it will come. When you lose somebody close to you, when you feel like God is there, when your marriage is on the rocks, when your children are going astray, whatever. But God did something brilliant before the foundations of the world. He put something in place to make sure, to make sure that when winter came, you would make it. You would thrive, not only survive, and God would be allowed to do his work. There's a little hint toward it in Luke chapter 6, verse 33, when Jesus says, Give and it'll be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This passage is not about money. Look at the context. There's nothing about money around there. When I hear pastors stand up and give us more money, you'll get more. It's ridiculous. You know what this is about? Mercy, grace, kindness, love. If you invest in other people's lives when you're in spiritual summer, when it's your turn to go to winter, those people that you've invested in will be right there and they'll be so crowding you that they'll be pouring out, running over in your lap. But if you're not there to invest in others, it's the law of reaping and sowing. Then what makes you think when you're in spiritual winter that people are going to be there just ready and willing for you? It amazes me when somebody shows up and says, can the church help me? First thing I want to say, have you been helping others? Now, we're always going to help people because that's what we're in the business of doing. But in Acts chapter 2, we learn God's new community, his plan in this world to make sure we can make it. It starts with the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones. And the question has to be one we all ask ourselves before we attempt to live another year when spiritual winter will come. You know where it's coming, don't you? Are you living life with a community of people where you pray together, where you study the word together, 
where you eat together, where you love together, where you hold each other accountable. The Bible calls that the early church. We call it life groups. You see, America has lost its ability to feel God because it's lost its willingness to obey Him. And He does not want us to forsake the gathering together to where we have friends. Man, you ask anybody in this, in this audience who's in a life group, when they had a need, the church never even found out about it. Do you know why? Because it was met instantaneously by the people they've been doing life with. There are needs met all year that I'll never discover. And it is the way God designed it from the beginning. There is nothing. Listen, you will, one more thing. You will not make it. I'm off the page now, so it really is any. Listen, you will not make it. You won't make it in life as an island. <laughs> the best investment you could ever make is in the lives of others. And in that, you will always find somebody that you just connect with and the quality of your life. See, I, I, again, I love my wife. I do. My wife and I are friends. We are much more than friends. But there, there's something that I find in another friend, a golfer, uh, somebody to have coffee with, somebody to hold me accountable, th that, that is a gift of God. And the quality of my life increases because of that friend or those friends. Listen, when I was in New Zealand, I was this close about getting out of ministry, this close of making a decision, I've, I've, that's it. I questioned my calling, I questioned God's hand on me, I questioned my vision, I questioned my ability, everything. This close, and it was only a group of friends that I had invested in that looked me in the eye and said, Jeff, have you completely lost your mind? You were made to do this. So you've hit a rough spell. This is what God made you to do, man. And the more they talked, the more clouds started to break. It got to the point where I just wanted to be around them all the time because every time I was around them, it was like rays of sunshine coming down. Are you kidding, Jeff? God's hand is on you. Don't give up. Sure, it's tough. Welcome to the world. It's tough for everybody. And every time I was around them, Jeff, this is what you were made to do. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. And I had played that role for them. And that was like little rays of sunshine coming down. Little rays everywhere. That's how God makes sure you're going to make it through spiritual winter. Where are you investing your life? Are you mourning with those who mourn? And if you are, when you mourn, they're going to mourn with you. And you're going to feel so good and it's going to be running over into your lap. And the clouds will part. The rays of sun will come down. Summertime. Father, thank you for your goodness. We are so grateful that uh, your hand is heavy on us. That even in spiritual winter, especially in spiritual winter, that you do your work. But you've given us friends. You've given us each other to hold each other up. To encourage each other. To remind us of who we are. To keep us balanced. To allow us to verbalize our frustration while encouraging us to cling to you because ultimately that's where the answers will be found. I thank you for the friends that you've brought into my life. I thank you for my wife and the friendship there. It's very special. Also thank you for a couple of my golfing buddies that I can just spend 
three or four hours with from time to time and talk about life and how they encourage and how they lift me up. And I pray that I'm the friend to them that they are to me. And I pray that no one, no one would start another year without that circle of friends so that when spiritual winter comes, the rays of sunshine will come down. Summer will return. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for that study from the book of Job on Today with Jeff Vines. And that concludes our series on spiritual winter, a season when God can feel far away. I hope it's encouraged you to be there for one another as those around you face spiritual challenges. May you walk through these seasons together and together with Christ. Join us next time for a new message from Pastor Jeff. Today with Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au forward slash Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.